Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Shannon, CG, Lauren, and Mel form the Nerds of Prey, a group of ladies bonded by comics, gaming, film, television, and fandom culture. Hang out with them bi-weekly as they dig into the very things that make them loud and proud nerds. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Also, check out their Patreon at patreon.com backslash nerds of prey. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Three. Hey, what is going on, everybody? What is happening? What is cracking? This is Marcus Kwame, and we are back with Black Comics Chat. Um, tonight, we got myself and Grace holding it down, the, the dynamic duo for, for the Black Comics Chat team. You know, we got the international lady of mystery, the Carmen Sandiego of the crew, always fresh off her, of her award tour. How are you doing, Grace? Doing great. It's good to be here on this wonderful Friday evening and uh, excited about the show and uh, looking forward to seeing what we can pull out of uh, Hervé today and see what he is willing to share with us here on Black Comics Chat. Okay, yes, yes, most definitely. And, um, yep, as Grace said, we've got the, the Toon Doctor himself all the way from up north, our, our Canadian brother. We got Hervé St. Louis in the house. How are you, sir? Very good. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's our pleasure. So, yes, so Hervé, so, you know, listeners of the show know that we like to, absolutely, yes. to begin by, um, you know, talking about the origin story of our guest so can you give us, you know, a little bit about your origin story, where you're from, um, and your, your early experiences with comics? Okay. Uh, I'm originally from Montreal, French-Canadian. Everybody will, will have noticed this. Um, and it, when you're from Quebec, from Montreal, there's comics in French and English, European comics and American comics. I saw with the European comics as a young kid uh, would draw comics, I think since I was five or six, uh, and a little bit, just a few years after I started reading American comics, at first there were the translations in French, then I got into the English ones, which half of them I couldn't understand at first, but I got into them. Uh, was reading comics throughout teenage years and so on. Um, both languages all the time, obviously. Uh, then uh, after, um, during my undergrad, I decided I was going to go into animation, so I finished my undergrad, gave the degree to my folks, because the degree was for them. Um, then I went to animation school and started working in, this, in the multimedia industry and in an animation studio. Uh, one of the studios I worked for in Quebec, uh, the owner of the studio, uh, one of the co-owners of the studio was about to 
sell his share and encouraged me to start Toon Doctor, to start my own company, to uh, because he, he thought there was a, I had a lot of potential. He was my first mentor. Um, what mentors do for you is that they give you that thing that parents cannot give you. And to this day, I still speak to at least one of my mentor every week. They know everything about my life, about everything. But uh, like I, I like to say, if you're an immigrant kid, my folks are from the Caribbean originally. Uh, if you're an immigrant kid, they will tell you go to school, but there's things that they, they, your parents cannot teach you. And that's where a mentor comes in. They teach you the in and out of how the system works, how things work. And then you can start whatever project you want to do in life. So I started an animation studio. While most young black people were starting things related to cultural, black culture and so on, like barbershops, recording studios or things like that, I started an animation studio. Uh, well, back then it was kind of unusual. Now it's now it's cool. I like that there's a lot more people doing this today. Um, and then in 2006, I decided to move. I, was, I wanted to leave Montreal. I moved to Calgary worked for a couple of Web.2 companies, started making apps also, but also went for my master's degree in strategic studies where I studied cybersecurity and the Iranian, the Green Revolution in Iran, where people use Twitter to denounce the election, the presidential election at the time. Uh, that was very important for me because it, it, it allowed me to do original research, even as a master's student on a topic, on a crisis that was happening as I was witnessing it, um, which led me to pursue my studies in Toronto to do a PhD at the Faculty of Information, where I study human-computer interaction and what we call usable security. It's part of uh, usability, user experience, but also the information security side. So it kind of makes all of my background into one. Um, now, when I left Calgary, I had a condo there. I left all my comics in the basement, my very extensive and beautiful collection of comics that included almost every single volume comic at the time. Uh, the original volume, obviously, from the 90s. Oh, wow. Uh, a lot of European comics. Uh, you know those, uh, those zero issues that they, you had to mail in? I was one of those guys. I had those zero issues mailed in, right? Mm. I was wow. one of those guys from Valiant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You should talk um, to Leo sometime. Leo yeah, is, is, yeah. Uh, is, is <laughs> our resident. You guys would hit it off great. Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, then I had a, what, a lot of all the Corto Maltese from Hugo Pratt and a lot of other European comics, a lot of archive of uh, comic strip archives like Little Nemo, Popeye. I had a 20, 10 volumes of Popeye. I had 27 volumes of Il Abner and so on. Everything overnight in 2013 during the big flood in Calgary got washed away, including oh. my animation drawings. Everything oh, just disappeared. Um, so... A year after, life was a little bit tough. I was wondering if I should stay in the program or not. And I had no comics, so I stumbled one afternoon uh, or morning, whatever it was, until the idea of Johnny Bullet, uh, which was mostly based on Steve McQueen and uh, Johnny Comet, the old comic strip by Frank Frazetta about a, car, uh, a racer, mm. uh, a car racer. Uh, at first, I wanted to do a, a comic strip on Steve McQueen itself. I did contact the estate to get the rights. They never contacted me back. Johnny Bullet was plan B. Uh, I like to say that I'm very happy that they never responded to me, that they just ignored my, my request. So because I could go, at, so at first Johnny Bullet was almost supposed to be a clone of Steve McQueen, but pretty quickly it became something else. 
more of a kind of cream, I'm thinking in French, cream noir, call it, <laughs> uh, but not exactly. So, yeah, that was the first question. <laughs> so, yeah, like just a few um so that's that's a lot obviously just to backtrack a little bit um there's a few things i want to i want to touch on that you touched on that i would like to you know hear a little bit about um the first being um you know the idea of mentorship which i think is something that is hugely important um and i think you had a good point um you know as as a a child as an immigrant child myself like you know i can definitely relate to the idea that you know our parents you know, they want the best for us and they, um, you know, come to this country and um, it's all about, you know, putting your head down and working hard and finding something that will be, you know, sustainable. Um, and it's interesting because like those of us who are more creative, it, it can be that can be a little scary to them and it's not necessarily something that they can relate to. Um, and I think you had a good point about how mentorship can give something that's maybe not uh some guidance that not isn't necessarily as emotionally involved as that of a parent you know what i mean because a parent mm -hmm. it's like you're attached and you you have a vested interest but a mentor kind of can give you uh you know positive guidance but can be a little bit more removed so can you just you know speak a little bit about about that and were your mentors um were they people who are artistic as well my mentors, well, one of them, the first one was the my the the, the co-owner of the first animation studio I worked at. Mm. So when he sold his share and wanted to go back into other kind of business, he strongly suggested that I quit and start my own thing. <laughs> um, so and he also helped help me get my first contracts, my first jobs. He taught me a lot of things about starting a business. What it is, what what is a business. Um, the, the other mentor I had, I went for the, the same summer, just before I quit my job, I went to just for one summer to take a, a quick certificate in PR, in public relations. And I guess I did well because the prof just loved me. I became, I really became a favorite student. Mm. Um, and um, she was a diva. I will say she was a diva. <laughs> I, I had nothing to do with, it's funny, all the mentors were, had different things. This one was about business, starting startup business. Uh, another mentor was about continuing the business and working with lawyers. Like I'm not called Toon Doctor for any reason. I had to fight uh, to get the trademark Toon Doctor. I had to fight one of the biggest law firms in the country who had been hired by a Belgian company. Mm. Wow. That mentor taught me to, you need to be gracious with lawyers. Because one day they might be, those same lawyers were against you today, maybe on the same side of you working on a, a different case the next day. Right. So those those small lessons that that, that that people can teach you, my parents could not have taught me these things. They, they had no they had no involvement with lawyers. Right, right, <laughs> with, right. With yeah. trademarks. That's not what my no. That's not what that, that was not their their world, right? Um uh, so the my mentor was a diva. She was a PR person, so she taught me about the, the glamour. She used to say that we Canadians are boring people compared to Americans in the sense that we don't take risks. We are very, like, by-the-book type of people, and we let the Americans do all the crazy things, and she wanted to change that. And I was very much Canadian in that sense, so 
because she was a diva, whenever I had a big meeting, she would take me to the store and basically do the personal buyer thing. <laughs> no, she was. So when you say about that they don't have the emotional investment, I disagree. Right. I, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. I disagree. My maybe, maybe not the parental boy. one, but I get what you're saying. I got you. Uh, yeah. They had a lot of the emotional attachment. They're not your parents, but they have a lot of the emotional. And whenever you do something good, they feel good too. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was very lucky because I had three of them. And very different people, completely different people, but each of them bringing something. When I, I remember in Quebec, when I had to go to business meetings with organizations that uh, would fund young developers and so on who had their business for Toon Doctor, mm -hmm. my, that one mentor went to the meeting, and I remember everybody around the table had gray hair, except for me, obviously, I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and he spoke on my behalf with all those other uh, stakeholders around the table were about to give me a lot of money to start my business. And he spoke for me. And because he was there, because he was an experienced business person, um, I look, why is this, I don't know, this 55-year-old white person from France even care about this kid, this 20-something kid over here and his dream of creating an animation studio? Never asked for a oh, None of them asked. It wasn't that they were asking me for money. They were just putting back what they had gotten also from, from the world, from life. They were just putting it back, giving it back mm -hmm. to this one kid. Um, and I realized this is the reason I was able to, years later to say, okay, I'm going to do a PhD because I've always had this kind of foundation, this kind of support from people. I'm not sure how it is in the United States, but I was very fortunate in the sense that it's, so, it's kind of funny because all three of them were white. And I would say they, gave, they each gave me way more than they, they gave the new other white kids who were also smart and bright. Hmm. But I got, I got more than any, anyone else <laughs> from all three of them. That very, yeah, that, that can vary. Like sometimes that'll happen here. Sometimes it doesn't. It really like all depends. So, okay. so yeah. But I was lucky because I had three of them, as opposed to just one. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Um, and I still, well, the, the only one of them was still alive to this day. I still speak to this one mentor at least once a week, updates about everything, about talking about my research, everything, advice on how to go for work. This is the, 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 the one mentor who, told me about, who taught me about lawyers, because I was very angry at those lawyers who wanted to, who did not want me to call myself a doctor. And he said, you need to learn that those people are not your enemies. They're, they're against you today, but tomorrow they'll be working on your behalf or on the same side of the table as you. Mm. And things like that kind of, you can't go to school for that. It's like, yeah, yeah. you can't go to school. And this is part of my background too. Uh, and I'm hoping that one day I'll be able to give all of that back. <laughs> Uh, especially since I'm almost done with the PhD. I'll be defending the PhD next month, exactly on December the 15th, uh, and hoping to be able to give the same kind of mentorship that I got to give it back to a new generation of talented folks and so on. I've tried to do this with, the, I forgot to mention, the Comic Book Bin website, mm -hmm. which is a website created in 2002, uh, the biggest Canadian news and review site on comics. It's always been in the background, and that's where Johnny Bullets' home is, obviously. 
uh, in a sense, at the first few years until 2014, when I, when I lost, after I lost everything, before that, I had always said, no, I will not create any comics because I want to be as ethical as possible when I review, when I discuss comics. In 2014, I realized, what is this thing I'm doing? No, no, just, just go and do your comic. Just create your comic. It doesn't matter. And Johnny Bird is so different than anything else anyway. I don't think I'm stepping on anyone's toes. I mean, come on, car racing. Right. No one, right. almost no one does that in comics. <laughs> yeah, you've got your own lane, definitely. Yeah, it, it's exactly. my own niche here. Okay, no, so that's really cool. So, um, definitely, we're gonna get to Johnny Bullet in a minute. Um, mm -hmm. My other question, though, just is, as you were, you know, you you mentioned all the books you tragically lost in the flood, R.I.P. But um, what were you reading? I, I guess you know one thing I'm always interested in is hearing like from creators what book really flipped the switch as far as like this is a thing I'd like to do. You know what I'm saying? Like like what 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 book is there is what's the earliest book that you can remember that did that for you? Um Wow, the earliest books. At first, okay, yes. I was into the Smurf, all right? I was a kid. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Hey, there's no judgment. I, I watched it. Hey, I, I was into it too. Yeah. yeah, me too. You're on a level. Yeah. <laughs> I was into the Smurfs and Tintin. You guys would say Tintin, Tintin. Uh, mm -hmm. I read all of them. They're, it's so funny because the classroom in Quebec, they used to just put them in the back of the classroom and whenever you had family, you could just go and pick up a book and just read them. They, all, every classroom in Quebec had all the comics in the back. For, for kids to read, because so, comics are more accepted in usually in francophone areas than English places. There's no stigma. I mean, people discuss comics on at the six, six o'clock news in Quebec. Wow. They don't do that elsewhere. Well, they do that in Europe too, but they don't do that in English Canada or in the United States. But in Quebec, like you have a panel, uh, a very serious panel of, of reviewers and critics criticizing the latest comics coming out. And it's as part of their feature, the entertainment feature, right? As w next to the, the plays and the films coming out, there's a new comic from someone very important. They'll discuss it. It's not. It's a non-issue for them. Uh, so comics in Quebec are integrated in the in the fabric. That's why they call it the night art in in France and so on. It's it's part of the fabric of culture. Is um, the U.S. could take a page from that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so. Okay, um, then I got into superhero comics, obviously, as a nine-year-old kid. So Spider-Man, uh, okay. X-Men, Justice League, everything. Um, I like all the characters. Um, but what changed a little bit was um, when I started discovering some of the good European stuff in college. So that's when I started reading all the Corto Maltese and all the Hernandez and all those guys. Very good stuff. Um, Comics, the kind of comics that grow with you, right? Mm. So, yeah, the superhero stuff, fun. Even the stuff that DC tried to do to integrate older readers, all the, the Vertigo stuff, that's interesting. But there's still, even the Vertigo stuff, there's still a superhero spin to it. Some I don't know how to explain it, but there's like a superhero core somehow in Sandman and other things, other projects. Yeah. Swamp thing. There's something superhero-ish about it that has not been shed 
but you don't find that in European comics. You just don't. It's a completely different discourse. It's not the mm -hmm. same. They start from a different position, a different start starting point, and they just run with it. Um, which is probably what you could probably see in Johnny Bullet. He's not a superhero, not at all. He's just a guy. But that's that's probably the European part influence that crept in. So, so you, you mentioned Johnny Bullet. So um, let's let's dive into Johnny yeah. Bullet. Um, you know, I guess for our um, for our listeners, you know, can you just basically give us an introduction as to what Johnny, who Johnny Bullet is, and what the um, the series is about? Uh, Johnny Bullet is a 26 year old street racer, drag racer, professional racer in uh, in the 1970s. So it's not a comic that occurs today. It occurs in the 1970s. Um, I like to say that he's running away from everything. He likes to race, but he's probably running away from himself. Uh, the story starts by with the, the sabotage of the car his mechanic was driving. The problem is that Johnny was supposed to be in the car, but then Johnny just ran away. So there's a big murder investigation. Who, who killed the mechanic? What is the cause of that? Um, and Johnny kind of is passive in those scenes and everybody around him does things, but I'm trying to put more of him, more of his personality. Um, and that storyline in terms of who, the who done it, if you, it's all on the website uh, in the form of a web comic. You can see that we, that story concluded with, oh, Johnny saying, I did it. I won't tell you what happens next. And the next storyline is a flashback, which is a silent comic right now, which is, um, you asked me earlier about my influences, uh, Alex Todd, and the art of storytelling has always been something important for me in comics, telling that story without as minimum word, minimal amount of words. I like to say that Johnny Blunt is extremely cheap on words. I don't know if you've read a lot, a lot about it. Yeah, it's cheap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's, it's, I'm not verbose in that comic, right. not even in the French version. It's, it's, sometimes there's a page where I force myself to put a word in there. Just to put a word, uh, and I know it's not the way people tell stories these days. Um, people like to do this entire exposition thing, or or those uh, exposition boxes. I still use thought bubbles. I love thought bubbles. I think they. Right. I, I don't know why they disappeared. They, well, they disappeared in the early two thousands, but I love them. I've always. <laughs> oh no! I said my my theory on the disappearance is it. I know. Um... I mean, a few writers were really jumping into narration boxes, but it seemed like they really started to take off when um, Frank Miller would use them a lot in some of his his books that became really influential. Like, obviously, Dark Knight Returns, um, Daredevil, I think he was using them a lot, too. And then I just noticed, like, throughout the 90s, more and more people would use the narration boxes and you'd see less thought bubbles. Um, mm. But no, I agree. I think it's funny because I know, obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, um, your series uses it. And there's something else recently that I was reading that used thought bubbles. I can't, I'm having trouble remembering exactly what it was, but like, you know, I, I feel like there's a few people that are trying to, trying to keep that torch, torch lit alight, a, a you know? But well, um, I, I like, I like them because for me, that's the vernacular of the comic. Right. Right. And why should we borrow something from another, well, not that we're borrowing per se. I mean, it's also part of comics, but why should we take something from mostly from novels and so on when you should let the visual tell the story 
Now, I know it's difficult because I know current readers are not as used to reading the comic visually, and Johnny Bullet, unfortunately, is mostly reading the comic visually. Uh, there's a lot of layers, in the, I think, in the comic, but you have to slow down and look at the illustrations and what, what is he saying, what is being said, why is, there's no word in this page, but what's happening, this is, which is why I'm doing the silent comic right now, it's a whole chapter without a single word. Uh, it's a challenge for me too, but it's, I'm having a lot of fun creating a comic. I don't think it probably would have been as easy to create if I had started it as a silent comic at first. Right. I think for readers, the fact that it had words in earlier chapters, and this is just one that's completely silent, uh, I'm, we'll know, I'll know, I guess, when the story, when that chapter is over in a few months, uh, if people relate to that, if people can understand what was happening. I think they do, but uh, people have a tendency, or if there's no way, like, they, they go quickly to the page, even though like there's so many things happening, you have to look at everything in the page to figure out what's happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's the art of comics. Um, yeah. But... I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm an advocate for that. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And um, honestly, some of, out of the many, many comments I've read over the years, some of the ones that stand out in my memory are the ones that employed that, that idea of, of silence, um, silent storytelling, you know. Um, and definitely when you're learning about, like, effective visual storytelling, that's one of the things you learn is that it should essentially convey the, the point, even without the words, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Um, right. Yeah, I, I like that approach, and I, I agree. I think it's it lends to really cool storytelling. Well, and one um, other kind of like silent comment that stands out for me is uh, this guy named Kyle Baker. He did uh, oh, a yeah. story on Nat Turner, right. and the whole yes. series is just visual. And I think it made me appreciate the visual a lot more because you really are like, you know, watching it or, you know, reading the visuals versus like reading words so it really kind of like forces you to see the details of what's you know in the imagery and so forth so um if anything i think it's a creative way an innovative way to engage in in comics you know versus just like the typical narrative that we have to read from page to page yeah uh, another thing i've also done with the comic uh, you would have noticed it's also a comic strip uh, mm -hmm. yep. And people are not used to reading comic strips either. And this one is set as an adventure comic strip. Uh, one of the frequent complaints that I get is, why is there a big logo in the first panel? <laughs> it's <laughs> one eighth of the page, and like some of the younger readers just don't get it. Right. Right. And I, every time I'm like, no, I did not invent this. This isn't. This does not come from me. This is. This this is an old tradition. This this is not me. This is this is a way of telling a story. And yes, there's a big part. There's the logo is bang in your face because some people were telling me, we know it's your comic. You don't need to remind us every page. And it's like wow. you don't you don't get it, do you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just don't understand why it's there. It's not. I'm not trying to remind you. It's it's that's that's a vernacular of the a comic strip. Exactly. With, You'll notice that in web comics, often the page, the, the stories will flow over over new pages. In Johnny Bullet, they tend to end at that page. If it continues, there'll be some kind of gap in time, because that one strip, just like in the comics, so that one strip has to stand stand by itself 
for a week or a couple of days or something mm -hmm. until the next strip comes in. So I'm very adamant about these things because the comics, there's so many restrictions to what you can do. That page is so small. I mean, the panels, I mean, it's it's horizontal. Right. Uh, I'm breaking it. I'm breaking so many rules. There's, there's not enough words. There's a big logo. <laughs> yeah. I'm breaking all the rules, but that might be a lot of fun because it, the story would have been completely different if, if it was like in a regular comic format. Or everything just you can you just oh turn the page turn the page but at the same time it is a web comic and it'll take me a week before I upload the new page mm -hmm. so might as well just play with the comic strip format now I'm not sure if it's I don't I don't know I never know if people get it or don't I, I I'm not sure how people respond to that because I assume it's unusual it's not what they're used to they're used to the graphic novel the comic format right so I'm I'm not sure uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I, I have I have a, a thought on that. I mean, I think in general, like you know, it's definitely something I've said on the show before that um, you know, comics is a it's a medium. It's it's not necessarily any one thing. It's not just superheroes. It's not just one format. Um, mm -hmm. Especially in this digital era, um, I think it's allowed creators such as yourself to really um, you know tr just try things that are totally unconventional. You know, um, and I like the fact about about your story that um you know like you mentioned the the individual strips are self-contained but they all you know they all they all flow together you know what i mean to tell a larger story um so i mean i think it works and i think that um that was actually one of my questions for you was um i don't know just about the the decision to kind of take a newsprint comic approach in the digital age um, and I, I don't know. I, I think that you've 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 found a way to to do that effectively. Oh, thanks. Uh, but um, it's it's yeah. I, I just like the now that I've started this thing. Sometimes I'm ask, I ask myself, can I can I even go back to writing a regular comic? Or if I'm I'm, I'm I've, I've been corrupted and I can only write comics strip like comics. Uh, I guess I'll have to see in the future. <laughs> Uh, although I will say one thing, um, it's it's kind of a weird comic in the sense that I don't. Maybe that's what the comic strip does. I I cannot imagine stopping. Maybe in, in two years I'll be fed up with it. But right now, mm. I mean, I've been doing it since 2014. Every single week, if you ask all my friends, everybody who knows me, they know what are you doing on Saturday. They know not to invite. They they know right. he's drawing his comics. Leave him alone. He he's not gonna respond. He's not gonna do anything else but draw his comics. Uh, and I can't, it's, as a graduate, I don't have time to do other things, but I take that Saturday and it spills over to Sunday all the time, well, obviously, and that's all I do, And but I can't see myself stopping for now. I I mean, it's only been, what, there's 140-something strips. It's not even been, like, five weeks in the character's life. Wow. <laughs> so this... I have enough room to, if I want to, I think there's enough stories to be told with the character. Um, and it is a cool era. I mean, the, the 1970s, the research involved in, in the comic is fun. It's fun to look for what did people use, what people used to wear, the, the hairstyle, the stuff. Um, you'll notice um, the one, the main black character, the manager, mm. Chinese manager, I, I'm having... I'm relearning the Afro. I'm relearning how to. It's so much fun. I'm having fun. I, I call them Kirby Kirby Crackle Balls. 
I think they're like Kirby Crackle balls, and I'm having fun. I know they're not a, a very representative way of drawing hair, but I'm having so much fun with this character. Mm. Uh, I like that character too. He looks like he could be a bad guy, but he's the manager. I like his relationship with the character, but maybe that was a question you had for me later. <laughs> so, you know, you touched on it, like you're like your one black character. And, you know, obviously like creators, the idea that like, you know, black creators have to only tell black, black character stories or white creators only can tell white creator stories is, is ridiculous, right? Like we can all mm -hmm. tell whichever story, any story. like any story, yes. you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think it's it's notable um, and not necessarily common that, that your story, that Johnny, the protagonist, is a, a white character, um, which obviously, like we said, is, is like totally cool and natural. But I'm just curious about um, in, in your particular story, like, you know, what was the consideration of Johnny's race or was there not one? Was it just who he naturally, um, when the character came to you, is that just naturally, you know, who he was? Well, he was supposed to be a clone of Steve McQueen. Right, you mentioned mm -hmm. okay. So he's based on Steve McQueen. <laughs> right, right. That <laughs> uh, makes not, sense. Not the current Steve McQueen, obviously. That would be a different comic. Right, right. <laughs> um, and it's, it's weird because I had no conception. That, that's, I'll use that word, the privilege of being Canadian. Mm. <laughs> and I, I believe in where I can have the freedom, I don't know if I don't want to use the word freedom, but I can easily play with things like that mm -hmm. and not shock people or or that it won't that question would not come up. In as in much. Canada you mean? Yes. I don't I don't it's just, he's, yeah, he's doing. He's making a comic. Right. right. He's, he's just making a comic. That's what he's doing. Um, and and I know uh, this is this is a topic that's always in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, that's why the, the manager the manager is is not he's not in all the strips. He's not he's not the most important character, but he is there. Mm -hmm. And I like his relationship with the character in the sense that he's got the power over the over the hero. Right. Mm -hmm. He's got the money. <laughs> hmm. uh, there's a. It was also set in the '70s. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things I need to say about this. Uh, this is what the current silent story storyline is about. Uh, well, I shouldn't say too much because yeah, yeah, no, story's not over. Yeah. But we find out why is he working for this guy. Oh. Why is this superstar, this guy, this this ace, this super driver, working for this guy over here? Now okay. we've had hints of it in previous strips, where the guy, the, where the manager Sergey just j does mention that, well, no one else would have worked with Johnny except for me. Uh, there's reasons for that. Why did, is Johnny, quote unquote, working with him as opposed to working with a, a, a white manager? There's a lot of things that, that, that I need to say about this. And, and I know it's an, it's, it might be unusual. I, I'm not sure how people feel about that. Uh, I, mean, I mean, black audiences. Right. 
Just, just for my part, I definitely wanted mm-hmm. to clarify that number one, I wasn't like you're putting you on the spot okay, about no, it. No, no. Okay, no, because I actually don't, I don't, uh, I don't have an issue. And like for myself, I was okay. more asking because um, you're right. Like culturally, the United States has its own very particular baggage with mm-hmm. with with race and with um, exclusion. You know, in narratives of black characters. And as a result, I think a lot of American readers, you know, naturally, you know, black American readers naturally um, have this desire to see, see ourselves where we haven't been. Um, and so, you know, that that's where a lot of the, um, you know, the desire and the, almost the expectation of like which characters a black creator is going to portray will come from, you know, but mm-hmm. um, I do think um, that that there needs to be freedom and i and i also believe that like you know when you're telling a story right like um sometimes the story dictates uh, or or the, or the characters dictate you know beyond just the the ways that we move them around so you know anyways i'm i'm just saying like i i definitely didn't want you to feel that you were being put on the spot i was just no, more no, it was more curious I'm not. i don't yeah. think i was because um, no those are questions that are always in the back of my mind anyway right so you're not putting me on the spot um, I will mention this. I, I've played with this so far. There's a brief. There's a, there's a couple of brief scenes. There's one scene. Uh, if I can find which strip exactly it is, um, in Johnny Bullet. Let's see. Do quickly look. The old strips. There's there's a there's a couple of funny scenes. Well, funny. Where he does things or he asks questions and uh, let me find the exact strip for that one. Um, where. There's a, he, he goes in this town in the Old South and asks a question to one guy. For He says, Where, where's the hotel? And he calls, a, and the, the person he's speaking to is a, is a black person. And, and, the, and he calls him, sir. He goes, sir, can you tell me where the hotel is? And the character says, in a talk bubble, that's where you use them. <laughs> <laughs> the character goes, sir, in his head. Well, okay, the, the hotel is over there. Or the motel is over there. That's what I, I like to play with these things. I assume that 90% of the readers would have not picked up on that one. Right. He's in, the old, he's in, he's in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another comment that uh, his manager says, Sergei says to him, when Johnny gets arrested in, and he's put in jail in Tennessee, Sergei makes a comment, says, you think I'm going to go to ten, in, in a backwater town in Tennessee and save you? Are you crazy? Right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I'm trying to put those things in there. Right, absolutely. Uh, assuming that most people won't even pick up on them. Right. Uh, right. There's also the main villain, who, who's the owns the town, ta- the town in Tennessee. His wife is a black woman. She's very short and she's black, but she's also a villain. Mm-hmm. Now, the, and the villain looks like the, the typical old South type of. Uh, Old South type of dude, you would think, yeah, he's, he's bad. Uh, but then he's married to a black woman. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have more fun with that couple because she's helping him in his quest against the main character. Right. And she's frank about it. Uh, now, I know in the 70s that those rela- relationships did not happen, but I, there's so many things I can play with that. Why did the relationship even work in a small town in Tennessee like that? Um, that's because the guy must have been really in a lot, have a lot of power for his wife, for people to not even go around his wife and criticize them. He must have been had a lot of power in this town. 
for him to be able to not be criticized. It, 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 I, I like playing with these things. So there's a little bit of that. Um, I'm not sure, but it, it's not something I, I guess you could... It, it's always like it's there. That's why I say you have to look at the... Not just the words, but it's there. But it's not like put forward. But it's one of the layers that you, I hope readers can pick up on and say, yeah, they're, wow, okay, his wife is black. Okay, mm-hmm. small town Tennessee. It's 1970s. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Something's weird here. Um, I'm having fun with these things. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I mean, like, that's some, something we definitely speak a lot about, um, the fact that, you know, race and, and these matters, like, I do appreciate it when it's in a story, but it also, I appreciate when it's natural and it's it's uh, subtle. Because, I, I mean, in real life, you know, sometimes you have over-the-top situations and sometimes you have really mundane situations but you know something's not right or you know that you know race impacts it or perception impacts mm-hmm. it you know what i'm saying right. so i mean i think that have, being able to have that nuance and those those shades of you know th- that leads to effective storytelling and you don't necessarily need to beat people over the head with a message yeah so. which is also why i like having the the the, the manager surgeon the manager uh who who says it clearly everybody said he likes money Mm-hmm. So here's a black guy. He likes money, and he treats Johnny as a prize that's going to make him more money. Johnny resents that. I'm going to have fun with that. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of fun. So here's this guy. He's superstar, race driver, and so on. How do you feel? <laughs> uh, how do you feel about in a situation like that? Right. Right. Uh, for me, it's it's fun. These are the kind of things that I, I think it's fun, um, uh, and I want to I want to go there. And this is the part. This is what I would say. Um, that's where I guess being a black creator, I can play with these things easily because I I get it. Yes. The same way yeah. all of us around this table, we get it. Yeah. We know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> Even if I'm not a, a, like American, I I get those issues in a way that few people would get. Mm-hmm. And I can play with them, even though I'm not American, in the sense that I know, okay, let's play with that. Let's, let's, let's just play with this a little bit and see what happens here. Uh, yeah. So the strip I mentioned, the one with where the, the character calls him, where he calls the, the guy Sir, strip number 53. <laughs> okay. It's, it's just there. It's like, yeah, Sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's see. I guess from there, you know, one thing I want to talk about is um, art and your, your artistic process. Um, you know, I read, you know, how you had mentioned that you work in, in Adobe Flash. Um, do you still work in, in Flash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting to me because, um, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have guessed guessed it. Um, and, you know, like, like I, I think you're the first person as a comic creator that I've ever, um, you know, heard of working in Flash. So, I guess, like, you know, tell us about that. Like, what what drew you to using flash in particular and like what advantages does it offer for you in creating a comic? Well, I work in flash because flash is what animators use. Mm. And I'm an animator. Um, it's also vector based. So vector based means, uh, as you would know, uh, it's resolution, resolution free. So we don't lose, we can, I can increase, uh, can resize, resize and so on. Yeah, yeah. And I won't lose any resolution. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in animation and also motion graphics and, and video compositing, we have something called um, pre-composition, or what they call in Flash a symbol. So I've been using Flash since '99. So I know Flash inside out. I used to I've created teaching program on Flash products, teaching people how to use it and so on. I've taught Flash. Like I, I it's one of those software that it's it's in the back of my mind, and I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to think when I use Flash. I just open and just start working. Uh, in terms of human-computer interaction, which I study, uh, there's no mediation. The, the mediation between me and the, and, and the technology is very minimal. I don't have to think. I just go and use it. Uh, and I also use a Cintiq, which is a large screen, a 21-inch screen, and I just draw directly on the screen. And that's when that's how we used to do all the animations. Uh, when, we, when I stopped using paper and uh, I went digital, I, animators use Flash or things that look like Flash. Uh, animation program. A lot of the stuff that you see, uh, Rick and Morty, they're made in programs that are Flash-like, more, speci- more specialized, but they're Flash-like in a sense. They're mostly vector-based with the same kind of foundation in the background. Um, so what you can do, the page itself, as you look at a page of Johnny Bullet, is full of free com- compositions within composition. So each panel is what you could call its own movie, its own composition, with different layers within that composition. So on one layer, I'll have what the blue version, which is the draft version, the same the same way that another creator would do on a, on paper or Photoshop or a different app. Uh, I've got my blue version. And also the, the fun thing is that because I use layers, I can have a whole background, I can draw the cores on a different layer, I can draw every different characters on their own layers and so on, and just create and have a composition and arrange things, resize and so on, if there's something that doesn't work. And because it's also vector-based, there's no loss of quality, there's no loss when I move things around, resize them, it just works. Hmm. Uh, so this this is one panel, and that panel is part of the bigger composition, the whole page composition. And on top of that, we have the logos and the French, and the, you notice that the French and version version of John Buddha, and that, uh, and uh, what is it called? The, the panel layouts are a different layer and so on, which cover everything. Um, the other thing with Flash is that you can do freehand drawing uh, with the pressure sensitive uh, pen from the Cintiq, from the Wacom pen. Right. Uh, you can do pressure-sensitive sens- uh, drawings and so on, and it gives it that that ink look. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, if I were drawing all of this uh, on paper, it would not be. It would probably be much thinner. It would be a different type of uh, texture and so on. And flash also rounds rounds up edges a lot more. You can control that, but if you give it more freehand, it creates more jags. So often, if you have very tiny object like fingers. Often drawing knuckles on those fingers is very difficult unless you draw one stroke at a time and so on, because Flash will just like almost like round it up for you, in a sense, which gives it that kind of inky texture in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's a compromise that you have to do with Flash and accept that okay, it's going to do this. But the, but if I need to, to publish this as a big 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 I don't know as a large size something, it's there. Or if I need to reduce it to a very tiny format, it's there. And if I need to reuse an element from the page, or I don't know, sometimes we use a background or you use a car elsewhere, I can easily do that without any loss of quality. 
because it's a movie within a movie, and it, the movie doesn't lose any of its quality as it's open in a different composition. Um, that's why I still use Flash. Uh, like I said, I'm faster in Flash than anything else. I know Flash is not popular. People think of Flash as this thing that pops up on your screen that gives you viruses and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but Flash was created for animators. Adobe has decided to give it back to animators as opposed to making it what this big thing, platform thing. It gave it back to animators. It changed its name to, uh, uh, what is it called? Animate now. I still use an old, an old version of, uh, of Flash because I don't need to use the new versions. Um, that's why, and every a lot of friends I know, you're still using Flash as if I'm like, this is so tacky, this is so old. I'm like, I don't care, it works for me. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. All of Johnny Bullet has been built completely in Flash. All of it, all of it. Uh. Lettering, everything, lettering, not the coloring, the coloring is done elsewhere. I'm still working on it to figure it out. Uh, but everything else, the drawing, everything is within Flash itself. Um, I'm much faster, and at this point, I don't want to switch. I, I don't. I don't. I, I can't perceive myself. If I switch, the quality, the, the texture, what the comic looks like, would not look like that. It would look like something else. Right. No, if it's working, switch. I mean, yeah. No, I definitely. I, I think, um, you know, I, 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 it seems natural, and like coming from the background of of the newspaper or newsprint comics that you were inspired by, like I can definitely see it like that so i actually had thought that you were working in india ink on paper or something but um oh so yeah that... no it's all it's all vector it's all uh yeah yeah well the thing with the synthetic that's what the with the pen it's a it's a 21 inch screen i just draw on the screen so uh yeah yeah cool cool so um uh, i guess one other thing that's interesting that you mentioned is you mentioned the french and american version and um i think that that's interesting that um the artwork so if, if i'm not mistaken um is the artwork different between the two versions or no is... it's the exact same comic it's just the the lettering it's even the the bubbles right. are the exact same size okay the bubbles are the same it's only the text that's different okay because i thought, yeah, I thought it's the only I... thing that changes okay i thought i had read that you said that it's not necessarily a direct translation between the uh, two. They're not translation. Um, the way it works for me writing the script is, it, it, unless you are completely bilingual in French and English, mm -hmm. if you read those scripts, it's going to be painful for you because I switch in the middle. It makes no sense sometimes. I know in the version of the text I sent you, I said that it's more action oriented when I write it in English and more nuanced. That doesn't even work anymore. That's it's when you're bilingual to that level. First of all, you sometimes you you dream or you think about. I don't even know what language I'm writing in. I'm just writing the story. Hmm, that's interesting. I just I don't. It's only later, and sometimes it's funny. I've in the on the website itself. A few times it's happened where I inadvertently put the wrong version in the wrong language, <laughs> but I can't see it. It's like you know when you write a big paper and you can't see your typos. Mm -hmm, right. mm -hmm. If I switch the comic, if I put the French in the English and English in the French, I won't even notice it. My brain won't register it because it, it's it's normal for me. <laughs> so it's only when people, hey, you've switched them. Oh, sorry, sorry, let me fix that. Sorry, I didn't see it. And it, it, it's kind of funny that people, you, what do you mean you put the French version in? You didn't see it. I didn't see it. It, it, it just happened. 
and I can't decipher it. So the the thing is that when I write the dialogues, of which there are very few, <laughs> anyway, uh, they're not translations. Uh, whichever version I write, I write and then I rewrite it. It's the same story, but they, it's French has a different cadence and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a different way. It's so, it's. I try to make it as appropriate for the language, so it's not a trans. It's not like I'm I'm right. I'm copy and pasting it in the Google Translate and say, okay, translate for me. No, it's right. written from scratch in both languages as I'm writing the. Uh, the script, but I don't. I never write full scripts, so I never have like full. It's one you probably noticed by now. I'm more visually oriented in right. writing things, writing text. Yeah, yeah. And it's only when I'm ready to put the okay, let's put some words in the in their mouth now. Mouths. <laughs> That's when I start thinking about okay, let's. What am I gonna say? What What are they gonna say today? Cool, cool. No, I, I just find that interesting. That like you know, it's the same story, but um, contextually. You know, just given the, I guess, the nuances of the languages that um, you're getting a slightly different, you know, context. So I think that's... Sometimes they will say a few words here and there because French, for example, there's a French word for a racing team, which is, uh, which is écurie, which is the same name that you would call a racing team uh, for horses. And that's, that's a word that's used often. We don't have a specific, English is not that specific word. That's so specific that what it means to have a racing team around one 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 racer, one one pilot, um, and and so I'll use those words. And so if you read the French version as a francophone, you'll see, yeah, it's 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 not a translation. It's not. It's definitely not word for word. And which version is written first is I don't know usually. It, it's, it depends on the, okay, today I'll start with this or that. It doesn't, I don't know. Like there's no, it's, it's completely not systematic at all. And if you were to read the scripts that I write, only a bilingual person would even make sense of them because I jump, I, within the same script, same thing, I switch language everywhere. Hmm. <laughs> For me, it makes sense. <laughs> right, right. No, that's very interesting. So, um, the other, I guess the other art question I had that I meant to ask you was, um, cars, you know, like a lot of artists, um, very accomplished artists sometimes will tell you that the one thing they dread drawing is cars, but obviously given the, the storyline that you're telling, you know, you dove head first into drawing cars. Like, was that always something that was an interest for you on the artistic side or was it more that the comic necessitated for you to, to draw cars a lot? Uh, I, I never was too much about drawing cars at first, but the comic. Well, I, I always liked the the muscle cars. Which when before when I okay before I started the comic, I superficially liked muscle cars for years and stuff. Yeah, oh, I like this. It's only when I started the, the comic that I really understood cars. Mm. Uh, to the extent that I'll use the term car porn. Uh, I would say Johnny, but is car porn. <laughs> If you read the comic, you'll see this. The cars are—I say that the cars are characters. Right. Um, the cars are everywhere. It's like some some of my friends have said, "You're always trying to squeeze in a car. <laughs> always trying to squeeze in a car everywhere. What's wrong with you? You always like." <laughs> 
Yeah. No, Most they're, people, they're definitely as you see with Dread, and I'm like, I'm going to squeeze a car in this panel. I've got eight panels on this page, and I'm going to squeeze it one more car because... <laughs> yeah. No, you could you could offer, like, car tutorials for, for other illustrators, like, you know. They're fun. So, uh, just as, so as a novice to this, because right. I, I, I wasn't aware about, like, this difficulty with um, drawing cars. So, I guess, what's the, like, backstory behind that? You were saying, uh, Marcus said, like, people dread drawing cars. So, I, I never, like, thought to even think that would be something. So, I guess, what's yeah. the... Not- the thing about that yeah i guess i guess from what i've heard so for me personally i don't mind it i think um that like i don't mind drawing cars but that's just because i've always had the the outlook like whatever i need to draw for the story i'm going to figure out how to draw it one way or the other but mm-hmm. i know um one one comic creator um who was very accomplished um he explained like his issue with drawing cars is that like they have very specific contours especially once you get into maybe you know more modern cars i mean they used to be more boxy but um they have like these very specific contours so if you want to be accurate a lot of times the uh, the um i don't know i don't i don't i'm probably not articulating it the same way that he did no you know it's it's clear but yeah there's there's just something you know like you might have the same car but like the the contours are just different and it's almost like you know we all have training for the most part artists like have training in figure drawing and figuring out some of the nuances of people but it's like cars it's almost like it's a whole separate language you know what i mean like drawing Mm -hmm. cars yes okay i I think that's what it is i think that's what it is like yeah so it is and for me, I find it in, like, there's a, there's not many strips where there's no cars at all. And I find it very important to put, it's a comic about cars. So I, I always feel like when there's no car in the entire page, I always feel like I'm cheating the, the reader because I'm like, well, it's about cars. I must put a car somewhere. There has to be a car. Otherwise, people are going to say, where, where are the cars? Right. That's probably why there's a lot of races. Uh, there's a lot of racing also in the comic. And I do know that the visual language reading that the the, the races a lot of readers have told me we can't distinguish the cars and i know which one is which i think and well obviously other car fans know which one is which and i and because it's black and white there's no colors on the car uh, people have sometimes may have a hard time distinguishing and knowing which one is which and knowing what's happening in the page and well because we were talking about color uh, this is a strategy I've always had about this about web comics is that you should probably make them in black and white, and when you want to compile them into one book, then you put them in color. So then you have a value value plus product, hmm. which is why Johnny Boy is going to stay black and white on the website, and only and, and I'm still trying to, I'm still doing tests all the time with colors because I'm still not satisfied. Uh, but when it's printed as a one book, it'll be in color. That's that's the plan. Um, so that also explains the black and white. Uh, but at the same time, I guess the black and white has taken a, a life of its own. Um, but cars, yeah, this it's a comic about cars, so I have to put the cars in there. I have no choice. Uh, right. And yes, I do enjoy drawing them. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. No, definitely go with it. Um, I I'm think that's a that's, lot of fun drawing cars. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's interesting, though, that point about um, that there's an added incentive for people to support um when you come out with a print edition because essentially they'll be getting something brand new in in 
switching mm-hmm. to color. So I think I think that's really smart. And that's a that's a good thing. I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting in this digital age where much like music, how the music industry has changed to where a lot of times artists are giving out their music for free and then, you know, find other ways to get financial support from um from listeners, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I think comics in a lot of ways that happens with web comics and then there is a challenge of like all right well i'm giving this thing for for free but how can i you know get readers to financial support, support? yeah so. specifically about colors in, in web comics uh I've, I've i'm trying to write a an article about web comic and the the, the coloring aspect of web comic is for me is problematic in the sense that when you deal with print comic there is a budget and there's constraints, time constraints, mm. real constraint. And with the publishers, they, they have a tier one, tier two, tier three type uh, coloring scale. Right. And no one goes, if this, I don't know, Birds of Prey is supposed to be not the super coloring thing, it's, it's probably a tier one type of coloring, very simple, quick, but that's how much you pay the colorist and so on. So the colorist knows what to do. They don't go, they don't, they don't, do the value added. Mm-hmm. Webcomic creators tend to not think about those production issues at all. And you see, I find the best coloring is in webcomics, but it's also the least efficient in terms of production, in terms of making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm making that much money, but I feel that webcomic creators, because they don't put those constraints that are there in, in comics, are probably giving a bit too much. I'm not saying that they should not be giving, but you're already giving a story, you're giving everything access, you're giving things. Scale down a bit. I would argue, scale down a bit. But color has become, it's almost like, and I guess if the comic was in color, it probably would be more popular also. And But it's becoming this thing where people expect color. Uh, I've had criticism because it's black and white also. Um, but from a production point of view, it, for me, it never made sense. And I think that, like I said, webcomic creators are usually the one creators who spend the most time on the coloring. And if I were, if I could speak to my fellow webcomic creators, I would say, stop doing that. Think like a, pub, a print publisher. Just because you have more, you think you have more time, you don't have more time. It's There's no deadline as hardcore deadline and so on. So you will spend more time but you may not recoup it at all. Um, I don't do the business talk often. Right, right. <laughs> no, I think we should be thinking about these things all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, these are interesting considerations. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because obviously artists and cartoonists, you know, most of the time we're creators first and foremost and business people second. Um, so it, it is, it's a never ending journey for a lot of us, um, to find a balance between the two. And, you know, um, so I, I think, I think, um, amassing as much knowledge as, as somebody can about all of the different business aspects and, and then figuring out what works and, and how to work what you're doing. So, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense what you're saying. That might've come from my, the animation background where these things that, if you were going to put like uh, what we call soft trace, when, when you trace the, the contour line into, instead of black into a, a different color, as in terms of budgeting for a TV series, soft, what we call soft tracing, 
that was more money for the like that cost more money. Mm. So we were aware of these things. So we didn't soft race everything. The only special project, Disney soft races, well, the classic Disney stuff. Like if you look at the Cinderella, the contour of the line uh, is pink or something like that, right? right. It's, it's not black. Then Disney stopped doing that in the 70s. Uh, with, they start with the 101 Dalmatian. And people complain about that. Same thing with the, the, the Jungle Book, because it had a more coarser line. So the lines were not redrawn in color, and people said, "Ah, it's it's sketchier. It's not as nice. It's not as polished." But it was also Disney had to do this for various reasons, and but digitally it's easier to do now. But those are, it, you could say that animation, the animation background in me comes. That's where it comes in terms of production. Is no, no color for this comic online. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I can definitely, definitely relate. You know, as a as a person who's put out some black and white comics, so I, I understand. Definitely. So, um, all right. So now that's dope. So this is usually the part of the show where we we kind of get into the chat. You know, we talk about some current goings on in pop culture or just whatever. Um. So yeah. So Grace, I'm gonna throw it over to you. What um, what do you want to talk about? Uh, so without spoiling anything, uh, definitely, I'll just say go see Justice League. Um, it, you know, I'll, I'll say this, it's redeeming and I'll, I'll just leave it at that, okay. you know, so, um, and definitely of course stay to all of the credits, oh. you know, cause there's like, it, it, there's end credits and then there's something and then there's after the end credit, the another set of credits. So. Like just basically stay till the lights come up fully <laughs> in the okay. theater, All right. basically. No, no, that's so, yeah, yeah. Because you know that's something that Marvel typically does, and right. I I think DC has done that. Maybe I don't know. I can't recall. Not as much. I remember. Uh, I remember sitting through Batman versus Superman, and then being like, "All right, I already did this. Let me let me let me <laughs> wait and see what they what they got." And then there was nothing. Right. So, yeah, I was. You know. Yeah, so I was like, I don't think DC really does it, but, you know, I noticed, like, everybody, nobody moved. So I was like, well, okay, if nobody else moved, I'm going to stay here, too, and thankfully I'm glad I did. So, um, I, I mean, like I said, redeeming is, is I'll, I, without giving anything else away, is probably the word that I would use to describe um, how I feel about well, after seeing it. So, are um, you saying that they, 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 they got... Uh, cyborg, the way they the way they came to him in the comics. <laughs> so it's definitely you know there is definitely a difference between his representation in the comics and the way it is in the uh, filmic version. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's better. So hmm. um, yeah, there's you know redeeming balance. You know, it's just it was you know it was good. I'll say that. I mean, I, I enjoyed it uh, much better than I did Batman versus Superman. So, um, yeah, you know, it gives hope that, okay, DC, maybe y'all got something, you know, so, yeah. but, um, yeah, so, you know, um, definitely, you know, checking that out, I, I would recommend folks just jump on that soon and quick if you can before the spoilers drop. Um, right, right. And it's yeah, interesting, I've heard like lots of bad reviews and was really trying to figure out like, okay. Well, maybe I missed something, so mm-hmm. I don't know. 
yeah but you know to each his own when it comes to that so well that that's interesting because i know obviously you know i i want it to be good and i, I have wanted it to be good i've said that but, on air right. but you know i was apprehensive like a lot of people are you know given that, that dc gave us suicide squad and, and batman versus superman but um you know i was hearing a lot of really positive uh early reviews you know and mm-hmm. it, it was only this week that i started hearing that they were mixed reviews so um, right yeah. yeah so yeah i mean like you said after getting Suicide Squad and Batman vs Superman, you're just like, really DC? Like, I mean, are y'all trying? You know. So, mm. <laughs> um, but yet, like I say, definitely this definitely makes you think differently um, after seeing it. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely um, appreciated and like the film. What else? Um, in did, lieu did you of, uh, catch Thor? Or, I'm sorry. I did, yes. Oh, yes. I saw that twice, actually. Oh, yeah. Actually, and, I think uh, you, you mentioned it last week. We did talk about it last week, but yeah. It's... Yeah, that's another one. Like, it definitely beats out the first two, for sure, at least for in my opinion, the first two, to- the first two Thors. Right. And well, to be honest, some of the other um, series, like, I, uh, I guess anything could be Iron Man uh, 2 and 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm with but, you on uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the better ones. I really appreciated how uh, the treatment of the Valkyrie character. Yes, I think like yeah. was probably the highlight for me, and maybe many others too. So yeah, my, myself included, definitely. Yeah. So, um, in addition to on the comic movie tip, so we all know Black Panther's coming out in February. Like, right. if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in Oakland and in Atlanta, um, we are. There's a group that I'm working on, working with called Coming to Wakanda, and we are um, doing a pre-screening uh, where we're buying out um, theaters oh, and wow. uh, all black screenings for oh, wow. uh, Black Panther, and taking place in Oakland in Atlanta the Thursday before it comes out. And oh, so, wow. um, as part of it. Pre-sale tickets have gone on sale, and if you're in Atlanta, you still got some, you know, you got Black Friday and all this time to get those uh, tickets. The ticket will include um, a screening to the film and a pre- and post-party that will be happening um, along with it. And um, at the same time, we're also uh, looking for uh, support and funding to do a a youth matinee because we also want to get the kids to come and see it because... I mean, as we all know, this this film is like truly important, and um, not only do the adults should the adults enjoy it, but the kids should too. So um, we're planning to also buy out a screening uh, on a Saturday. That Saturday when it comes out for the kids to come out. So if you're in Atlanta or Oakland, um, definitely go to coming to Wakanda Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, the link is there to get the pre uh, pre sale tickets. So yeah, I've got a question for for, for you uh, that you may because you're a cultural scholar you may mm-hmm. be able to answer that. Um, I read years ago um, that Africans had a different confidence when they came in North America or when they immigrated wherever, wherever than blacks, local blacks. Um, that there was a an inner confidence that we. From this continent did not have uh, it's interesting for me because black panther 
Panther would have would represent that kind of confidence versus Luke Cage. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. A local, well, a local, uh, North American-born hero. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you, do you do? Is that something you? Yeah, does? you know, I mean, so like Luke Cage and Black Panther, right off the bat, are like two totally different characters. You got one character who like was like, "Pay me my money, and I'll fight crime." You know, Luke Cage, and then you got Black who like it's it wasn't about like the money you know so um i think there's that difference but then you also have somebody like the falcon who becomes the first african-american character um do you know to hit like mainstream whereas like black panther is like they say they call him like the first black character so like i guess to incorporate black and african or african and african-american however uh, uh, people identify so I would like throw in Falcon to kind of be maybe that comparison of like the pride and like the um, confidence or in the sense of okay. if we're going to compare the, the two so um, but yeah I think Black Panther becomes that character that everybody black can like touch and relate to and right. feel like they're a part of and you know feed off of that confidence um, so Yeah. Whereas, like I said, Luke Cage, some people have like a love hate for him, you know. Well, so, and, uh, and I think yeah. with that, I mean, I think it definitely comes down to the eras and I think it comes down right. to, to who was writing him, you know, because yeah. um, obviously David Walker's done a, a great job with Luke Cage and, and other exactly. writers, too. But like, mm -hmm. you know, originally he, Luke Cage definitely wasn't necessarily being written by people who. Had his interest in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is why yeah. you know we spoke recently about um, uh, in Icon the character of Buck Wild who was a parody of, of Luke Cage, right? Or old right, school right. Luke Cage, though you know not not necessarily the newer incarnation. So yes, because there is like the transition that right. you see between you know even from Luke Cage to Power Man to Luke Cage again, you know. So yeah, I, um, I, I definitely did enjoy some of those older books, but it was like it was like with an asterisk. You know what I'm saying? It was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed it with qualifiers. You know. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like you said, I mean, when Luke Cage comes out originally, it's like the black exploitation period. And, you know, there's people who feel different ways about the black exploitation period as far as some see it as a highlight, some see it as campy and like, you know, a downfall for black folks. So I guess it's relative to also right. for how um, people take that and take the character. But I think consistently with Black Panther, you know, across the board, you know, he's been pretty much well-liked. Right. Okay. I love the part in the, I mean, obviously I've watched the trailer many, many, many times, but I just feel Same like, here. like when, uh, when Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger says, I've waited my whole life for this. Like, I, right. I don't know. I feel like he's speaking for all of us. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, growing up reading Black Panther and just like seeing it. I always, I, I think about that when I'm watching that trailer, man, just being a, having been a kid and like read Panther's Prey and like all those, right. you know, older Black Panther books. And I would never have dreamed that not only was he getting a film, but like a real quality thing where they like really took the time to envision Wakanda and like all that. I don't yep. know. It's, it blows my mind. It's, It's a... and, it, and it kind of makes me feel like as much as I had heard the complaints about how or where would they, you know, film Wakanda, mm -hmm. you know, because I remember hearing that was one of the things why, you know, a Black Panther film hadn't came out uh, prior whatever. to whatever. <laughs> and I was like, but you can create Asgardia. Exactly. Like, I, I, don't, exactly. I, don't, I don't get it. Like, that's that's a really 
yep. whack ass excuse. It, it so, is. It uh, absolutely. Is. <laughs> well, like, it, yeah, no, it, it's. I, I totally agree with you, and it, it's. It kind of reminds me of when people uh, even had an issue with Idris Elba being Heimdall. You know, it's like right. it's like, look, I'll go on this ride with you, and imagine that a man can swing a hammer so fast that he can fly, but. Yeah. I refuse to believe that there was a black man on Asgard. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, right. it's just ridiculous. <laughs> so. Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, I, matter of fact, I just showed the trailer to my students again because they were like, hey, can we watch the, the trailer? I was like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, like watching it, like I, it's, I still get chills like it's the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think like, like you're saying, Marcus, like a film like this, it just hasn't happened. Right. And it's like checking so many boxes. Like yes, thank you. Sure. Got black director. Check yes. Black mm-hmm. primary black cast. Check. I mean, it was, it's like everything is there. So yeah, yeah. Now we're ready. Yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely. And now, well, you know, let me ask you this, Herbert. Like, so with films, do you guys get them around the same time as exact, U.S. or they're at the exact same day? Exact same release okay. date. Awesome. That's awesome. Exactly. Even in French, the, the release is exactly exactly same day, same. Okay, that's yeah. good. Because I know some places it's delayed, so I'm like, <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's what's up. Okay. Yeah. There's no difference for a lot of these entertainment. There's no difference. Like the, when we, we watch the DC shows or the, the the TV shows on TV, they're broadcast at the exact same time. Okay. Um, All right. There's no difference. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good time to be a comic book fan or to become a comic book fan, <laughs> yeah. I guess one could say, because, like, you know, they they rolling out and, you know, definitely looking forward to watching Punisher uh, yeah. this yeah. week, too. That's, so that's tomorrow, right? Watch that. I think it's it's already dropped. Oh, it really? It dropped today. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, today's Friday. Wow. You're, okay, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump into that as well. So. Yeah, it was it's funny because I had heard uh, people like complaining or people like from Justice League, I guess the marketing people were complaining that they felt like people were not going to come see the movie because the Punisher was dropping today. And uh, I, I was just I like, really? So. Yeah, I don't, no, think, so. I don't think it's going to be <laughs> this, an impact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is America in 2017. Like people, right. <laughs> people will leave the theater and then go watch something. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're so inundated yeah. with media that it's not like you know, people aren't going to watch both. So. Right. And and people know how to avoid, you know, being on social media to avoid if they don't want to hear somebody talking about it. So it's like, right. yeah, we can still balance out the two. Yes. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing, uh, just briefly, other news that was, that was cool that was um, this week is the uh, Nigerian ladies bobsled team yeah. that, that qualified. Yeah, that's a nice picture that they, they have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, man, it's just, uh, it's always, you know, good to see black people excelling where, where other people wouldn't expect them to. Obviously, you know, being like mm-hmm. from a warm climate, um, it's there's even more hurdles to overcome for them to qualify. Right. But like, yeah, so. Speaking of uh, Nigerian, um, there's something I, I, I want to write an article about this somehow. But I, I like the time. Um, I when there was the the black what was it the hashtag again the black comic creator. Oh, um, I think I know what you mean. Was it a was it drawing while black or was it yes okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it allowed me to discover several Nigerian artists yeah yeah 
And what I've noticed, and this is why, this is why I think academics are always thinking in terms of articles. I shouldn't be thinking about that. That's not even my field, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> could be a, an article for, for the comic book bit side, though. Um, I find that there's an interesting phenomenon in a lot of the Nigerian artists have the, the very hyper-realistic art mm -hmm. yeah. to the extent that they reproduce water reflection on people. I also like the, the fact that the, the characters that they represent are all black. That's super cool mm -hmm. because the representation is themselves. Right. Yep. But the rendering, the, the representation, the, the, the rendering is hyper-realistic to the extent, because I know in art schools and, and so on, in art history, in the literature, it, it the hyper the realist type of art is not even being taught anymore in Western quote unquote Western schools, mm. and we have the Nigerian creators showing everybody else what hyper realist means. Mm -hmm. Here, people. Even black creator here, we all go towards some kind of level of impression of cartoonish, whatever it is, that is definitely not reality. I'm not sure exactly what it says about, like, is this the Nigerian people? Are they like in some kind of modernist phase while we are so postmodernist that we don't care about any kind of representation of reality and they're getting into their own with the new media technologies hmm. and and having their own different language, the, the, the things that they want to do. And they, because I find the work, that's why I'd like to see, I guess, literature on this stuff, because mm -hmm. since then I've been following many of them and I'm always completely impressed. Right. Whereas someone would, here you have one, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Ross. Alex Ross, yeah, yeah. People go gaga over Alex Ross, and you look at the Nigerian creators, and it's like, Alex Ross is like an impressionist next to those guys. <laughs> you know who, you know who would, be, uh, would be interesting to speak to about that is um, the, the team at uh, Kugali Media. Um, okay. Yeah, because they're, they're um, all Nigerian. I mean, they're, they're not all living in Nigeria currently, but they're all, um, you know, originate from Nigeria. Um mm -hmm. And, you know, they have a podcast and they also have uh, a magazine that they're publishing, um, that which focuses on specifically on artists from the continent, from Africa. Um, and obviously they have a lot of Nigerian creators. So I don't know, they might have some insight as to, you know, those questions that you're asking about culturally, you know, why, why there is this, this, um, all this hyper-realistic art coming out of there, but, you know. Which I think is of higher quality than anything else. Right. Uh, if, if okay, if hyper-realistic art is your standard of what good art is, for some people it is, for some people it's not. They like the impression, impressionist or cartoonish stuff more. But in terms of the, the technical quality, you can't deny the, the technical quality, regardless of which style you prefer. Right. The technical quality is there. It, it's not easy to do what they do, and the fact I'm just amazed. Uh, it. I want to know why. I, I want to get into their brains and pick at it. And why are you guys creating all this beautiful art? And why is it so different from what we what we create here? Mm. 
whether whether we're black, white, whatever we are here, there's like a spectrum you could see that of what we create here, right? Yeah. Which is completely different from the vernacular that they have in Nigeria. And I, I find that for me it's a fascinating topic. And maybe it's because I'm looking at it as an academic because I can see all the problem not the all the questions I would have to ask to even get an answer. But I hope it's not my check out <laughs> your mother yeah. worked involved. That's I got you. Definitely check out Kugali because they um there's there's a range of of creators too. Like definitely a lot of the hyper realistic that you're talking about, but there's also some very cool um you know more stylized uh, art. Yes, I've seen I've those seen too. Them. Yeah, but that that whole hashtag. I'm glad you brought that up. I know we spoke about it previously, but it, it there's there's just so much uh, brilliance and and you know it mm-hmm. it really is heartening and also kind of highlights something you know a little sad too that um i feel like so many of those creators should just be household names you know what i mean and like, yeah it's mm-hmm. um so i mean in one in one sense it's beautiful that there's a hashtag that brought a lot more awareness um even just to us you know as black people because it's kind of like you know a lot of times we want to support and we want to find you know all these creators but we, you know, the the time age old, like I don't know where to find them type, you know, narrative, but like mm-hmm. they're there, you know what I'm saying? And it was it, it created this opportunity for us to all just discover these brilliant people all over all over the world, you know? So Right. Mm-hmm. And be able to answer the question of like, where can I find, you know, art or where can I find, you know, uh you know, comics or artists or paintings or whatever the case may be, like, because that was always the question, like, where can I find it? And so, like, that hashtag allowed, you know, an ongoing answer, you know, so, yeah. And and since you bring it up, um, periodically on Twitter, I I put out a PSA to to artists to watermark their their artwork and to appreciators of artwork to Mm -hmm. please give attribution to an artist. I mean, even like give a link would be great too, you know, because yeah. um, I, I know a lot of people don't mean any harm, but it's like there's there's times these days where it's like, you know, someone will share a really brilliant piece of art and like there's no way for, um, you know, people who like it. It's racking up likes, but people right. people's awareness of the, the creator or even just the appreciation of what went into that is, is lost in the process. So, yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, definitely... Um, watermark your work artists and um, uh, people just just you know give credit where credit's due and I've seen one thing that a lot of people do which is cool is if they don't know who created it they'll ask their followers to tag the artist um, so yes yes mm-hmm. so that's a good thing but you know it's important it's important because yes. so much so much work goes into everything you see even if it's something that you know you look at for like 30 seconds that was like hours out of that artist artist yes. life you know so and then it just goes into like you said just so that we can like continue to support right because like yes. you want to be able to you know share who, who it's by so that other people can support it so yeah i mean it it's a win-win really yeah yeah most definitely yeah so um yeah so i think that's it we're um this is this has been been great hervé um you know we, you. we uh we really appreciate having you on and i definitely urge everyone to <laughs> check out your, your work um and comic bin comic bin.com right that's where they can find comic book bin. Comic uh, book I, bin. I, I should probably say even though it, it is a new site do send a press release and the things 
I won't post them because I'm, I'm swamped with work. Right. But at the same time, I, at least I know it's there. It's in the box. Because there, there was a time when we had interns and people who could do post these things quickly. Right. Or I would, or when I had more time. Uh, the, the thing is that people, it seems people tend to forget that some of some sites do exist, and we've been there for a long time. I mean, 15 years. There's not many comics news sites that have been around for 15 years. Uh, it is a resource that's always been there. Like I said, because of my crazy time constraint, and like I said, the site has not been up to what it used to be uh, before 2011. 2011, 2010, it was like at the peak. We had apps, and we're the first website to even have apps. I don't even think other people have apps anymore, uh, or ever have apps and so on. Uh, we were on top of things, and then I, I went to grad school. Well, I went to do a PhD, and then boof, overnight, <laughs> all of the network, all of the stuff I had built, we had something, we still have stuff, but not to the same extent um, that we used to. I, I, will, I wanna give one shout out to the person, if you go to Comic Book Bin every Monday, you will see the latest diamond, uh, the latest diamond um, previews, the listings. Mm. This listing has been done since 2010, nonstop, not a single week has been skipped. And the work has been done by one of the senior editor at the site called Leroy Duresso. Mm -hmm. Leroy Duresso is also black. <laughs> Uh, he's one of my great friends. I've never seen him in person. I don't. Even, I don't even know what he looks like. That's a funny part, because he doesn't put his pictures online. <laughs> um, but he also creates comics on the side. But I want to say, um, the side is not. It's, it's not like black girl nerd. It's not. There, there is a black comic section, but it's not specific. We've never pushed that too much. Uh, although there's a there's a good section on, on black comics. There's a we debate things all the time, uh, but I, I want to say that Leroy has done that, that work forever. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's over seven years, almost, I think more than seven years, he's never skipped a week. So if you want to get your diamond listings every Monday, why don't you support Leroy's work in the sense that, and he also has his own Patreon and stuff, um, because uh, like I said, I'm not the only one on the site. Right. And, because it, it is black comic ch chat. I have to mention people who've helped me build the site over the years, and he's definitely one of them. Other, a lot of other people, to uh, other creator, uh, other writers, and so on. But I want to mention specifically him because of the audience I'm speaking to. Uh, that behind the scene at Comic Book Bin, there are people who do a lot of work. More, he does more work on the side than I do these days. And I just want to give a real shout out to someone like Leroy. Uh, and that people should find out more. I, I don't know sometimes if people even know we still exist. <laughs> it used to be that we, yeah, we run everybody's Rolodex. I don't, I don't think we are anymore. I don't even know where. We, I mean, no, we are with DC. They, they like us, but I, I just wanted to give a shout out to a great friend yeah. uh, who you guys probably That's didn't so even know great. existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been reviewing so comics since the early two thousands. Right. He's been with the site with us since 2003. Well, no, I never stopped. Yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> check it out. And, and you know, it's funny because, um, again, another recurring conversation that we've had is about, you know, the whole idea of Diamond and distribution and pre-ordering and everything. And 
the way that it's not always intuitive for new readers. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, that's a good service. The fact that he's, um, you know, kind of bringing the, the previews listings to the people, you know, mm -hmm. and every week he never skips, even when that's he has personal issues. Dedication. Yeah, yeah. He never skipped. And he's one of us. <laughs> cool. cool. There you go. All right, y'all. Well, yeah, check that out. Check out Johnny Bullet and um, and support. You know. Um, Thank you. Cool, cool. Where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, uh, everything. Well, uh, my personal site is obviously tunedoctor.com. Right. right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a company uh, when I had to find the trademark for. <laughs> hey, yes. Uh, which in a month will finally be, I'll be the real Toon Doctor for real in every single way, which I'm very happy for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why I think that this name has become, has become so important for me, especially now, because um, it will mean some, it will mean more than a company name. It will mean my whole person right. in terms of the professional life as an academic and cartoon. It'll, it'll just encompass everything that I am in that one name. Uh, but the, the website the, the, where you can find Johnny Bullet updated every week is comicbookbin.com. Uh, like I said, it's a news and comic site. And that's Johnny is there. Leroy also has his comics there uh, uh, that, he, that he, he started uh, a few projects and so on. And every, everything else, obviously, all the articles, all the reviews. And obviously, the Diamond Listings every Monday morning around 12 uh, uh, Eastern, they're li listed on, on the website. Uh, there's 25,000 articles on that website, if not more. Wow. There's a lot of stuff. That's that's why, like I said, we used to be more active, but there's still 25,000 articles starting from 2002 about every, every kind of manga or whatever it is that you want. There's stuff. There's a lot of movie reviews. Um, there's a lot of material on that site. People tend to forget about that. There's this, I'd like to say that we have a history of comics that got canceled and things that don't exist anymore that you won't find anywhere else because Newsarama and all the other guys have erased their database. We haven't. You can just search it. Uh, like if you want to look stuff about Speakeasy Comic. You guys remember Speakeasy Comics? No, I actually <laughs> don't. 2006, yeah. a company that just failed. No, I don't. Yeah. Right? Company that had a lot of money, then they just failed. They put out all those books, uh, all the stuff on Tokyo Pop. We have a lot of oh. stuff on old old Tokyo pop history, okay. you can't find that on any other site. Why are you going to find out if you were a historian reconstructing all of this air period of time in comics, if you're doing comics research, where are you going to find all of this info? Because every other site doesn't as scrub their database or it's an archive, it's very complicated. For us, it's all it's one search engine away on the site and it's all there. Uh, all 25,000 articles are still on the site because uh, for some reason, I'm good with information architecture. <laughs> it's kind of my work. And so it's there. So it's easy to find. And there's nothing that's ever been removed. It's it's there. All of the stuff from starting from 2002, from the first articles, everything is there on the site. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. If I were, and if, well, I guess I am in a way a historian. I would just dig in a comic book because there's a lot of, there's a truckload of press release and stuff from companies that are, don't, don't exist anymore, project that failed, people who had feuds and fights, and then they split the project and it's all there. You won't find it on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why uh, I can't stop the site, 
because it's too big to, even though I'm not as active as I used to, I, just from a historical perspective, and obviously it's Black-owned, uh, which has always given me a voice. I used to be more controversial. Sometimes I would criticize, and I, I could feel that a lot of people would probably, at the time, I, I don't do this as much on time, a lot of people probably would have liked to shut me up, and I'm like, no, you can't. It's my side, and I pay the bills. You can't shut me up. It's my side. Uh, but we have people doing this kind of work now with Black Girl Nerds and other people who have picked up the relay, and I'm very happy that they can. They have that, they have that energy to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> you put in a lot of work. Thanks. So everything Johnny Brick related is on comicbookbinobviously.com. That's where you'll find it. Um, but uh, thank you for inviting me uh, also for this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And definitely keep us up to date with what you're doing so we can we can let people know. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, hey, Marcus, is uh, is Hervé our first, like, I guess, international, like, guest that we had, like, um, out of the U.S.? Actually, second, I believe, because we had, we, um, I don't think you were on the episode, Grace, but we had, um, uh, from, we had, we had, a, we had at least one guest from the U.K. Okay, okay, gotcha, all right. I want to think. Oh, you know what? No, we, we did one where the guy was, a, the guy, a creator, he did a Kickstarter, we did a Kickstarter with him. And he was in Canada. Right. Oh, yeah. Anthony. Anthony Rutgers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. So, okay. Right. So, we've had multiple. So, this is, I think, maybe our second it's, Canadian, it's a, maybe. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a growing group, though. Like, I definitely, you know, like, I, you know, Black Comics Chat is worldwide. And Black black people are worldwide. So, we have That's to, right. be, yeah. have to yeah. be worldwide. So, yeah. All right. Um, Black Comics Chat people. Grace, you got any anything you need to let, let everybody know about? Just go see Justice League, okay. watch Punisher, and uh, she's got to have it on Netflix. Oh also. yeah, okay. That that's yeah. that's out now too. That'll come out uh, Thursday next week. Oh okay. All right. I got my homework. I will. Yes, I will, yes. I'll do so my homework. there's plenty for everybody to watch over this holiday. I have the whole week off from from school, so I'm gonna binge like crazy. Cool. But uh, definitely, whenever you all get the time, check those out. Definitely. Uh, Nothing to uh, disappoint. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool, cool. Thank you. All right, everyone. We'll have a good night, and thank you. Uh, thank you, Hervé. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you, yes. Till the next okay. time. All right. Next time. Bye. Black Comics Chat.